0: Okay, Rob and Jack, how are you going? Good, Pat. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having
1: us. Good to be back.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, a lot's happened since you were on last. You've been at Biggs. You've been at Birdies. But, I mean, this is a special one because um, Jack's on too.
1: Yep, Yeah, hey? my, my, my crew chief.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Rob, you ran your first back out ultra at Herdies early last year. Um, Jack, were you crewing for Rob at that first one?
2: Yeah, and I've crewed for uh, Rob uh, for all his races, um, sometimes with help and mostly on my own, though.
0: Yeah. Did you know what you were getting into, um, like, for like before you went to that first one at Hurdy's last year?
2: Yeah, I probably underestimated uh, the length of the race was my big mistake. um and uh they've only got longer since then so uh yeah a big, it's always a big uh big event big lot of time
0: yeah because rob you went for 36 hours at that first one didn't you um yeah yep and yeah like you said that is a long time so like what, what were you thinking oh this is awesome or what were you
2: thinking jack um by the time we got near the end uh, I was actually really shattered. Uh, I hadn't got near enough sleep myself. Um, so I was actually kind of relieved when he finished. Yeah. Um, and me being in that kind of shape, I probably didn't push him to keep going uh, as, I, uh, as a good crew person should.
0: <laughs> the um, So I can imagine you would have been driving back to Kalgoorlie and the days immediately after that, like, was were backyard ultra tactics for the next one, like a main subject in the Parsons household.
1: I, I think so. It was um, as soon as I finished the next day. I really like probably ninety eight percent of people that do backyard ultras. I really regretted um, stopping um because i actually stopped i didn't time out on that one i stopped after 36. um and so there was a real feeling of i could have done more Uh, i could have kept going and i think yeah talking through with um with jack it was as much tactics about running as it was about understanding okay well this is what it took to crew um and you know to be able to push you and and keep going then it yeah. It requires almost as much preparation for the crew if they're there the whole time as than it does for the runner.
0: Yeah, so it would have been a big learning experience for both of you because it was your first time running in a backyard ultra, and your first time crewing in a backyard ultra as well. So yeah, it would have been a big learning curve.
2: Yeah, I think we we kind of understood the basics of like ultra running, like food, nutrition, um, hydration, and that sort of helped. But that the element of a backyard ultra that's really different is that sleep aspect um for both the runner and the crew
0: yeah definitely um so before bigs this year you ran at birdies in august and i got the impression rob last time we spoke that you were just gonna um not run another backyard ultra till big so i was a little bit i was pleasantly surprised to see that i'd be running with you at birdies so, when did you decide that you were going to run at Birdie's, and what was the main reason for deciding to run at it? Um,
1: it was probably a few weeks before, like probably within the f- maybe four or five weeks before birdies'. Um, probably a couple of things. One, I didn't have any other big running races in my training block um, in the lead up to bigs, so to do a you know a real a real solid week or or a big weekend of running. Um, and I also, uh, wanted to try some different nutrition, um, stuff. So I was working with Gabby and I wanted to try that out. Um, and just, just going through after working with Rob Dongasloot on the mindset side of it, again, it was, it was really just a test. So it was, is I wanted to go out and try all these things in the lead up to bigs, um, to make sure that what worked, I could keep doing what didn't work. I had the time to change it or tweak it um so that when we got to biggs we would sort of we turned over every rock essentially and and were ready and comfortable that you know the plan and the strategy was was right um so yeah that was probably the key reason to to go and do birdies
0: yeah i was also thinking that a, a good thing about birdies is that it is kind of similar to biggs is that in that it's a in a remote spot so you couldn't just like get into a car like mean, you probably less remote at Biggs because you could at least go to the shops at Biggs. Whereas at Birdie's, like you've got what you've got. You can't drive down to the supermarket and buy any extra supplies. So it's probably the perfect lead in race, really. Did, yeah, um... yep.
1: You gotta be gotta be very very prepared.
0: Yeah. Um when did you actually land in the US?
1: Uh we landed the essentially the Sunday night before the race so about five days before the race yeah so and, yeah we flew in flew into Atlanta um I think listening to the stats podcast I think we were potentially the furthest we've probably flew the furthest out of anyone because compared to the Perth team we had to fly to Perth so there was a there was a 600k extra trip wow. to get to Perth um and then I think it was 14 hours from Perth to Doha, and then another 12 hours from Doha to Atlanta. So our flight, so it was an hour from Cal to Perth, so it was about 27 hours of actual flight time for us to get there, um, not including time at airports and and stopovers and things like that. So we're pretty happy to get there by the time we finally arrived on the Sunday and then, um, yeah, had, had the best part of sort of four days or three days in Atlanta to to go and look around with the kids and, and enjoy ourselves and have a bit of a holiday, and then um, grab a car and head up to Nashville and start getting prepared, buying <laughs> buying gear and food and everything we needed.
0: Yeah, um, what what's in Atlanta? Like what what was it Like what's the touristy things you did while you were there?
2: Well, the best thing about Atlanta is their aquarium. So they've got a, they've got a really great aquarium um, in a landlocked city. And um, the other big attraction is the Coke Museum, uh, where the highlight of that is essentially getting to taste at the end got this huge tasting room where you can taste every flavour of Coke uh, beverage products from around the world. Um, The kids definitely uh, tried them all.
0: (laughs) And and then you drove from Atlanta to Nashville, yeah?
2: Yeah. Yeah, we drove up to, um, yeah, Nashville.
0: Yeah, and um, as you mentioned, equipment. How how hard was that? Like, did you just like buy a whole heap of stuff and leave it at Bigs?
2: Pretty much. We went to Walmart, um, my new favourite shop, because <laughs> um, it's got everything. And uh, just raided their camping equipment, um, raided the supermarket, uh, and bought the bare essentials. I would say, um, and then most of it. Yeah, we left left with Laz.
0: Yeah, yeah, he would have had heaps of gear left over there, wouldn't have he?
1: Yeah, there was quite a bit at the end. It was, it was interesting the the shopping side of things because something um, I was warned about and I didn't heed the warning well enough was being able to buy the food that I wanted.
2: The food that you normally eat in Australia.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the type, the styles of food. Like the one that blew me away the most is I often eat like snakes, whether they're Allen's or Natural Confectionery or whatever. Um, You know, we're used to those. They're probably, you know, 10 centimetres long and quite, you know, relatively soft. And I could not find anything similar in the US. Like I went to like three or so different shops and it was all, you know, much smaller, much chewier. And it's like, it seems like a minor thing, but when you, when you eat them, when it's kind of your like go-to nutrition when nothing else works, you know, you can just get them down and you couldn't find them. It was yeah, it was a bit frustrating not not being able to have the food that you're used to eating and you know works. And um, so that's something I, you know, compared to, we we were in a house with Phil in the lead up and he had a a whole box that he'd shipped over of all his nutrition from Australia. And at first I thought that was overkill. And then as we went shopping, I thoroughly regretted not taking a leaf out of his book.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I'm surprised. I would have thought that snakes would have, been easy easy i would have been like you i would have thought they'd be easy to find over there so,
1: so i thought you know when it came to confectionery everything you hear about the us i expected it to be you know a, a woolworth sized shop just for confectionery but no nah, i couldn't couldn't find the sort of stuff that i was used to yeah <laughs> and were you
0: asking That's like easy. hey
2: no tim tams either
0: yeah <laughs> were, were you asking like shopkeepers like do you sell snakes and they were like What were they saying? What?
1: Well, like I was spending so long in the confectionery aisle, like they would have started to get suspicious, I think, because I was looking at every single packet in detail and I'd pick one up and I'd walk around with it for a while and I'd put it back down and I'd go get another one and just couldn't decide. So it was a lot of anxiety around what confectionery (laughs) to get for the race.
0: Yeah. And um, so the race started on the Saturday morning. When did you start getting into the backyard ultra race mindset? Um
1: probably not until the race morning i think in the lead up especially the day before so we dropped our gear off the day before and like a lot of those sort of races um even the night before like i get quite anxious i guess like you just want to start like you've there's been this especially for this race it was such a massive lead up we flew all the way to the other side of the country and i think i even said to jack on the friday when we were dropping our gear off and we met laz and i just i said i just i just want to start i just want to be on the start line and i don't want to have to think about going to the shops to buy this or waiting for that or booking in here or picking up keys for this just i just want to i just want to run so it probably wasn't until the next morning when we sort of got set up and you know for me probably wasn't until you know we all started getting into the corral and i was looking around and realized you know looking seeing the people standing around me um and going wow I'm like I'm actually here like yeah. this is actually about to happen you know I've I'm at, at a real world championship race with some of the best uh ultra runners um and I've earned my spot and I'm I'm ready to go
0: yeah awesome where well, did you go on many runs in the US like in the days leading into it just like just to keep like, Not really. I did a
1: few short runs just to keep the legs turning over. We did a lot of walking. Um, a lot of our holidays generally consist of me wanting to go somewhere that's a number of kilometres away and just striding off towards it and everyone scurrying along behind me, keeping yep. up. Um, so I think it was no different. I think one day we probably did close to 10 k's walking around Atlanta with our two kids until they um, they told us that that was enough and we had to catch the train back to where we were staying, which was probably fair. Yep. But, yeah, it's pretty pretty light on the running just – you know, sort of five or six K sort of runs and just walking every day, just keeping the legs moving.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now I understand that um, there was a late change to the rules around crewing where each runner was allowed one crew change during the race. So did you take advantage of that?
1: No, we didn't. Um, Probably two reasons. One, we didn't have anyone over there that we knew um, that wasn't already racing. And even if we had... Um, I guess over the, a series of, of the races, and I mean, Jack can probably talk to this more, but I think Jack works really well as like crewing by herself.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a there's a rhythm you get in when you're crewing um, with your runner and um, I find it difficult, I guess, A, to sort of let go and um, put him in someone else's hands. Um, that's probably my issue. Uh, And B, I think it's just uh, there's so much that you need to know from the previous laps and the previous time that's happened so that you can be more effective as a crew, I think. So that handing over um, for me is difficult. Yeah. I think um,
0: because you put so much planning into it, into so much time, changing it at the last minute probably would have been would have felt a bit weird as well, you know, changing, changing the plan at such late notice.
1: Yeah, yeah, we didn't, we didn't even really consider it. Um, like I know, I know Phil did, and, and we we're staying in the same house, and and he had a friend that came over to look after our kids. Um, and so he asked me. He said, "Look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask if she'll crew me for the first day. Do you, do you mind?" Um, and I said, "No, no, absolutely, go for it." Like hadn't even considered it, and even now you mentioned it, still happy, like. You know jack and i we've got our plan we've got our system so we we're good
2: yeah
0: and were you sharing a marquee with another runner or were you just using the communal marquee that was set up
1: no we were really lucky so um we turned up and were wondering where the other runner was and it turned out we found out later that um it was one of the south american runners who had moved closer to uh, i'm not sure who we swapped with or where he got a spot um but essentially, no. We had a tent, a three by three um, tent, all to ourselves. Oh wow! So we were we were probably one of the furthest tents away from the start line. But that would have been maybe twenty meters.
2: Yeah, it's nowhere near as far as somewhere like Herdies or Birdies. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was complaining how far away things were from the start line, and it's it really wasn't an issue.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well that's not bad. Were you were you the only runner who had their own marquee to themselves? I think to start with, there I might be I think have been. there was
2: a few. There was a lot of people swapping and there was a few groups um from different countries who wanted to be together, so they kind of set up their own um but yeah, the the extra space was really good and not having to share with someone who was on a different sleeping pattern I think yeah. would be the hardest part.
0: Yeah. Um so I imagine you would have spent a lot of time together discussing your game plan and setting clear expectations around what was going to occur during rest times, between loops and stuff. But how intricate was your plan? Like um, I mean, I know Phil Gore is real intricate. I like, like how intricate are you? How intricate's your plan?
1: Not um, not really. It's
2: more of a guideline.
0: Right. yeah yeah
1: absolutely so um like my running pace is typically very similar um like i consistent consistent yeah that's probably a better word consistent and you know when it's sleep it's it's just sleep and it's get the maximum amount of sleep i can in the time period um i've got so the the strategy was um for the night loops just try and sleep every lap bar one so probably do you know, maybe like four laps of sleeping and then have one lap where you might be eating something a bit more substantial uh, and then do another four or five laps of trying to sleep um, every lap just to try and maximise. So we knew early on that we wanted just to try and maximise the amount of sleep we could get through the whole race because the further you go, the more that catches up with you, Um, which barring the first night was reasonably successful with getting the, the sleep done.
0: Right, so you were actually getting a little bit of sleep in that first night, were you?
1: No, so the first night I didn't. Um, I had to change my plan um, pretty drastically on the first night. I thought I was almost going to drop out of the race at lap 12, um, which was pretty scary for a little bit. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, I guess working with Jack, we had to completely change the plan. Um, But then on the subsequent nights I was coming in probably with about nine minutes in about a 51 minute, mark or so or 52 and then getting straight in the chair doing nothing but lying down and then I'd get up with about 90 seconds to go Jack would hand me my water bottle and what I needed to eat on the lap and and I'd go out so it was pretty pretty well oiled in that everything would be it was you know we wouldn't even talk for some laps as especially when I came in it would just be put you know put some uh, headphones on like earmuffs and lie down and close my eyes and try and sleep
0: yeah so so what happened at at around the 12 hour mark like did you take a fall or something else what happened
1: yeah so I'm I'm a really heavy sweater um like I've done a few I've done a sweat test and I think when I did that it was about 1.6 1.7 liters an hour I was losing during that test um I essentially dropped out of herdies this year at 24 hours from dehydration And so it's something we keep a really close eye on. um, And we were were keeping a close eye on it. So like every time I'd go to the toilet, I'd tell Jack and she'd write it down on the the plan. And we sort of, we even said at the start of the day, you know, if I go more than two laps without going to the bathroom, then we need to, you know, we probably need to do something different. Um, And it was pretty good for about the first six or so laps. And then, you know, other things must've happened and we sort of didn't talk about it. And then all of a sudden, it had been three laps without going to the toilet and we'd realised and said, oh, we'll just check on the next lap and we'll see what happens and, you know, take a drink and and then again, didn't pee again. And so, oh, all right, we've got to start trying to get a bit more fluid in. And then on the last lap during the day, which must have been lap 11, I think, um, going down the hills, my quad started to cramp and I thought, oh, that is not a good sign at all. Um, so got in and and try to take a bit more fluid out with me on the first night loop. Um, and the first, the first lap on the night loop, I couldn't, I couldn't spring off my toes. I had to run essentially like flat footed or on my, um, because my calf, both calves kept grabbing and like cramping. Um, and so I was really stressing at that point thinking, you know, like if this doesn't get better, then uh, I'm in a lot of trouble. And so I got back to that lap, and I I, I went to lie down and and sort of stretch my calves out. And as soon as I got off my feet, my left leg locked up in the most painful cramp I've had in my whole life. So I was just screaming at Jack essentially, and um, she tried to lift my leg up and stretch my calf out, um, like by pushing my toes back. And she,
0: strong enough. she
1: yeah, it just wasn't strong enough to push through the cramp. And luckily, um, Bartos who eventually came third. Um, the Polish runner was next door and his dad came over. Um, big Polish guy and he he couldn't speak much English at all, but he could see what was going on, so he grabbed my foot and stretched my calf out, released the cramp. Um held it there for a while and then slowly lowered it to the ground for me and so I was just lying there and I could I could just feel like my leg was about to go again and I I remembered that I um when I was packing my bag I threw some gels in that were in my running cupboard and I I hadn't planned to eat any gels and I thought I'll throw them in anyway. So I've got them just in case. And I I had a random little packet of cramp fix, I think it was called, that I'd just got at a race somewhere. I'd never bought it. It just appeared in my cupboard. And I thought, I'll just throw that in as well. And so I sent Jack looking for that in our gear and, and I took that and it was the most horrible tasting thing I've ever drunk. It was like distilled vinegar. It was atrocious, but I could feel the cramp in my leg literally dissolve about five seconds after I ate this stuff uh, or drank this stuff. So from there we we knew that we had to change the plan of trying to run and get sleep on that first night and I often run like three minutes running, two minutes walking on a if I've got a nice flat course, that's just a, a good routine for me. and we we flipped that around so I did two minutes running and three minutes walking and we just try to get as much fluid and electrolytes in as possible so just went with really low effort um, out on the course so that I could absorb as much as possible and you know often when i get hot dehydrated i got really nauseous so i really struggled to eat and so jack was finding um
2: well, we cut most of the solid food completely out yeah
1: yeah yep. just get back. and so it's just liquid food really and um and I think I got through about seven litres of water from that point until I had to go to the bathroom again.
2: Wow.
1: Um, but about eight hours into the night lap, so it was about two o'clock in the morning, I finally felt, it was like, I remember it was like the first lap that I was like, I feel good. Yeah. Like I actually feel back to normal now. So, um, yeah, it took about eight hours to um, turn it around, which, yeah, like I said, on the sort of 12th lap, I was... In my head, I was kind of composing the message I was going to send people to explain why I'd flown all the way over the world and then dropped out and had my worst ever performance after 12 hours. So, yeah, yeah, it was really pretty scary at that point. But, um, yeah, worked through it and then got back to normal after that.
0: Yeah. Do you reckon if it was just a race in WA, do you reckon you would have stuck it out or do you reckon that would have finished it for you?
1: No, we would have done the same thing, I think. Yeah. I'm not very good at
0: self-preservation, so um. <laughs> Yeah.
2: It was timeout or
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll keep going. And that um anti-cramp stuff, was that like pickle juice or something similar to pickle juice or
2: it was the, it was really concentrated. Um so we'll have to um remind we should buy some more, put it in the kit because it's yeah. good stuff because yeah. after yeah. that after that i went on um my probably my second uh walmart mercy dash in the middle of the night to go and find more pickle juice <laughs>
0: um
2: which interestingly uh in walmart if you're ever in walmart it's kept with the pickles right okay in the grocery okay. aisle not in the chemist um as i would have expected not in the sports nutrition with the pickles
0: right okay um so so it was pickle juice it, it, it it's it's
1: probably same thing different brand yeah yeah right. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. no worries um so obviously the plan Rob was to go as long as possible and you would have been planning three days plus for sure um so Jack did you plan in much detail how you were going to manage your time so you'd still be feeling okay three or four days into the race
2: no not really so my Strategy is usually on the first night um, I get him to look after himself for quite a few laps while he's still still good um, and not sleeping. Um, so I'll get a – usually I'll get a four- or five-hour nap on that first night um, to set me up for the next couple of days, but we didn't get that this time um, while we were fighting the dehydration issue. Uh, and so I was sleeping when – on the daytime – um, laps uh, so that I could be awake on the nighttime laps to make sure that um, he woke up and got back out to the start line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't really, I don't really go in with a plan. Uh, it's more just being aware of how I'm traveling and trying to get sleep when I can uh, yeah. and getting pretty good at sort of those 30 minute, 40 minute naps. Mm. Um, while he's out on the course. Yeah.
0: Did you like, drink coffee and stuff like that to like wake up a little bit or
2: yeah, yeah i'm a big uh, caffeine addict um <laughs> so, yeah i had coffee i had red bull um i i try and i try and time it so that i know i only drink that stuff when i know i'm going to be awake for a while Yeah. Um, it's a trying to find the balance of get some sleep get some actual sleep and um and caffeine up to uh to get through
1: and the other thing on the day loops, Jack did on a number of laps, like my my water bottle and my food and everything would be ready for the next lap when I came in and she'd be asleep. And, you know, she'd sort of half wake up and I'd see that I've got everything I need. And especially on the, you know, day one and day two, or it was probably on day two, um, I'd just tell her, you know, go back to sleep. It's fine. I'll, I'm, I don't need anything. So um, try to we probably did that two or three times where, you know, Jack would get more than just a 20 or 30-minute nap because, you know, I was copus mentis and everything was there for me, so um, she could get a longer rest.
0: Yeah. And, and what about you, Rob? Do you use caffeine or do you have a caffeine plan?
1: I do. Um, so I'd have to go back through my plan, but it was probably not until after 48 hours or so, wow. I think, that I started taking caffeine. Um, I a few times, and I did for this one, I, I go on a a caffeine detox um pre-race i don't know whether it makes any difference but i've i've done it a few times um so i don't drink any coffee or anything for about three weeks prior to the race um and then yeah waited about 48 hours and then once i started caffeine um would would roll it through probably every six five or six hours um consistently from then out like even at night i'd still go straight to sleep you know by the third night doesn't matter how much caffeine you've got. If you close your eyes, you go to sleep.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, how was it, were you having no-dose tablets or was it in your gels or how, how were you taking caffeine?
1: Uh, no-dose tablets and um, coffee. So yeah. I enjoy coffee. So that was one of my little treats was in the in the morning, like, you know, 5 a.m. Um, I would have a, a biscuit and a nice strong coffee. So that was always something to look forward to.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean it's probably a hard question to answer but had yourself had you set yourself any kind of ultimate goal um yes yes and no I guess so
1: um look I, I always in your head you always fantasize and you want to be the last one standing right As I guess you go in especially a race like, like this um to get over 100 you know was also something that I I wanted to do I wouldn't call it a goal I certainly didn't set um a goal in that sense the only real goal that i set was i wanted to keep going until i couldn't finish another lap and i you know i would say that quite a lot like that's what my goal is when people would ask me how far do you want to go are you gonna do 100 are you gonna do you know whatever uh it was just I, I just want to go until i can't anymore um and i think that that helped me in that mindset space that i was never counting laps um because I know I guess people look in and you know I did 84 at this lap at this race and um you know I'm sure people think oh 48 hours they're not even you know that's a warm-up they, they don't even care about 48 hours right but for me like at eight hours it starts to hurt you know like it's not like the whole time it's it's not like it only starts to get hard at 60 hours in it's hard for me near the start right and it so when you're nine at nine laps in and you think i have 91 laps to go to meet my goal like it's just so unach- it seems so unachievable that my strategy is do not think about the lap numbers and and birdies was the first time that that test race was the first time i did that um i didn't want to know what lap number it was i would never ask jack what lap number it was she wouldn't tell me um like i, I would find out and i'd have a rough idea but i was never trying to know what lap we up to um and i would never do the maths in my head going oh you know it's x number of days until we get to this this milestone to the to the point on day three it was about 10 o'clock on day three and i was running around the day loop so we probably three laps into the day loop and i had this thought where i was going okay yep i'm on the day loop again i'm like oh it's on the day loop yesterday but that wasn't the first day so this must be the third day so I'm like, I'm, I'm, I've been running for three days. And it was like, that was that was like the first, you know, point that I realised, you know, roughly how far, or not realised, acknowledged, I guess, how far I'd been going. So, yeah, so no, didn't really have a goal. It was just, you know, it was things I wanted to do, but I my, set my goal as just run until I couldn't run anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. The One of the things we talked about last time you were on is at the Sat Champs, um, I remember you told me your first goal was to make sure you weren't the first one to drop, um, and when you accomplished that goal, you sort of, um, you said you wanted to beat Ben Nichols because he had kind of like a similar stature to yourself. So yeah. did, did you have anything like, did you pick out a runner at Biggs that you wanted to beat or anything like that in at Biggs? Um, not so much this time. Um, it... it there
1: is always that bit of competitiveness against the Australian runners, just because I know them. You know, like you'd be running along. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time with with Tim Cabrazat because he was always too fast for me. I'd, I'd see him on the turnarounds and wave to him. Um, I spent a fair bit of time with with James, um, which was really good, and a bit of time with Ben and 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 Aaron. Quite a bit of time with Aaron and. You know, like it's it's almost like friendly competition that there's all these other people, but you don't know them, but you know these Australian runners. So you're like, you know, you really want to keep going. They're still going yeah. um, is like a another motivating factor. But no, I didn't pick out a specific individual at this this race to just keep keeping my sights.
0: Yeah, sure. The course, the day course, especially. I think it was. Uh, I don't think it put. Runners off, maybe quite a couple of runners off guard because everyone knew it was going to be hard. But I think it was a lot harder than a lot of runners expected. Um, did you walk the course and check it out the day before or anything like that?
1: No, no. I figured I'll have plenty of time to learn the course when I start running it. Um, so I will just run it and see what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. The Now, you did mention that you went into the race purposely, not... Um, knowing what loop you're on and on the live stream when you dropped out you did mention that on the live stream that that was one of your things but um jack that would have been the opposite for you right you would have had to have been not knowing what loop number you're up to all the time would have you
2: yeah well, i had a spreadsheet that i was keeping track of things on um so i kind of knew what lap we were on um but one of the different things about the Biggs race um, from the uh, Sean Kasler races is that there was no celebration at any point at any milestones. Mm. So there was no um, 36 hour um, celebration. there was no 200 miles. it was all very low-key. Um, so I kind of um, didn't quite I didn't lose track, but I wasn't I wasn't thinking about how long we'd be going or how far we'd been going either. Mm, It was written in front of me, but by then I was probably pretty sleep-deprived.
0: Yeah. You know how people, they had that PB bell, like people rang that bell when they did their, did that sometimes like think, oh, no, I've missed the starting bell or anything like?
2: Oh, no. I think the problem with the bell is that the bell means something really different at birdies, right? The bell at birdies is you're out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's having like people ringing the bell while they were still running was weird. Yeah. And I said to Rob, "I don't care if you are PB. You're not ringing that bell until you've finished." <laughs> Some kind of superstition, I don't know. Well,
1: for me, it was it? was. It wasn't even superstition. It was like I just, just in case we've got it wrong. Yeah. And ringing the bell means you're out. I'm not ringing the bell till I'm out. And I think I think a few of the other Australian guys were the same because it, you know, all the ultra series, you know, Sean Kays's races. That's how you finish the race. So yeah, it was um. bit unnerving seeing people ring the bell and then keep going it was just it (laughs) felt didn't feel right
0: yeah the it was funny because a lot of i noticed a lot of runners were ringing the bell when they completed their first lap as well and i'm not sure if that was part of the if they were meant to or did you notice that too
2: yeah so that was a um so laz asked everyone to ring the bell on the first lap uh to celebrate the runners who couldn't make the race so there's three or four runners who couldn't couldn't make it to the race so that was the kind of ode to them
1: yeah I think yeah at least one couldn't get a visa and one was um in Ukraine and couldn't couldn't make it so yeah that was that was the reason for ringing the bell on the first lap acknowledging those runners
0: I see yeah um so I do remember actually thinking to myself once you reach that third night Rob that one I thought that you were going to get to 100. Were you letting yourself even go there and think about that at all when you were in the third day or third night?
1: No, like it's in in the past, absolutely. At other races, it's always counting down what's the next milestone. But no, so I didn't at at all. And you always look back on these races and the day after a, a backyard, you always could have done another lap. Right? You tell yourself, oh I I could have done another one, right? I surely I could have done another one. I just didn't try hard enough. Yeah. Um and in this race I never had um I was never having to force myself out and onto another lap. Um like I wasn't I I was fortunate enough I didn't run through any acute injury pain. Um just just fatigue, but no real pain. Um so I never, you know jack never had to push me out of the chair and get me to the start line i was never saying i don't think i can do it i think i'm going to quit um it was just which made it like a bit interesting when i did stop uh, or i did not make it back it was it was really just like a snap all of a sudden I, i i was you know heading back on the 84th lap i'd done the turnaround and i'd fallen asleep and sort of wandered off the road and suddenly woken up um And just it was just like a snap that my brain was like you're done. There was no angel and devil on each shoulder, and should I, shouldn't I, and hundreds how far. Like I didn't, there was didn't even cross my mind what lap number I was on and how far it was to the next milestone. It was just, it was almost binary. It was either I was there or I wasn't. And then yeah, just didn't make it back for that 85th
0: lap. Yeah. Um. So. So Jack, in my opinion and you might laugh at this but in my opinion rob's one of the toughest sports people in australia um like he's built like a sherman tank and and you're really durable um but and i mean i don't i mean i know you but i don't know you that well but you really do seem like a really analytical thinker and you don't seem to be like the sort of guy who's going to like break down emotionally during a backyard ultra either when things get tough but jack when you were at bigs And you were seeing all these runners coming out of the trail with cut up legs cut up arms blood noses was there any stage of the race when you were actually worried about rob
2: uh i did get worried a couple of times i wasn't worried about him falling over and hurting himself um i think one of the laps he fell over five times um, and just kept getting back up again (laughs) came in all covered in dirt um uh, the um, I got concerned. There was he had a few issues with his breathing that he's never had before. Um, so I was concerned about that because obviously breathing's fairly important. Um, the um, and we'd never encountered that before. And the the other, I guess, part of the race that always worries me is the um, you see people come in who are um almost catatonic, so they're sleep deprived. Um, that's the the hard part of the race is seeing those people coming off the trail who are, um, like literally 100% spent. And I know that he'll push himself that hard and then we're going to have to pick up the pieces after that. Um, so I think that's, that's what I worry about. The, The physical injuries, the, um, not so much. It's that when you, when you push yourself to exhaustion,
0: yeah, so you fell five times on the trail in one loop, did you, Rob?
2: That was a bad lap.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah a few a few average laps, did
0: not Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that like towards the end or was it just one of those things?
2: It was one of the mornings. I think it was the second morning.
0: Yeah,
1: second or third morning, I think, and I was just, yeah, whatever reason, just every rock, every tree route I just kicked um, yeah. and went down.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like it was really dusty in there which is explains the blood noses and it probably explains your breathing issue as well um did you also get a blood nose as well
1: no i, I didn't like i had a lot of blood like in my um like if i blew my nose and stuff there was i did but i didn't i didn't have an actual um blood nose um and yeah so the dust i don't I, I don't know if the dust affected my breathing because I have actually had this problem. I, I did have the pr- same issue at birdies um, with my breathing and it was it was almost like I, I could only get half as much oxygen in as I needed. Um, and at birdies, it was a bit of a struggle, um, like some of the sections where, because I was running with Margie at the end and and if there was a, a long section we were just running, um, I would get really out of breath, by the end. Um, but the issue I had at Biggs is on that day course, there's no rest. Um you you were either running downhill or on the flat, or you were hiking the uphill to get back in time. So for most of that last day, so the fourth day, probably from at least, you know, lunchtime onwards, I was I was at like maximum lung capacity on each lap. Like you know, it felt like I just run a four hundred meter flat out, you know, and I will at any point on that lap. Um, so I was really that was probably one of the things that I struggled with the most, and saw my time start to drop off on that last day quite a bit. Um, was just trying to get around and just trying to get the trying to get the oxygen in, um, whilst without having to just walk the whole time because otherwise I wouldn't make it back in time.
0: <laughs> yeah, um. And like I mentioned in the last question about like getting emotional and stuff like that, I know that going deep in a backout ultra can stir up waves of emotion for some people. But but were there any stages in the race where, for no particular reason, you started feeling emotional, or that's just not the way you are? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily
1: emotional. Um, There's definitely like there's always peaks and troughs in these races. And I guess the more you do and the further you go, you know that when you're in a trough, like you feel bad, you're questioning why you're doing this sort of thing. You just, you have the confidence to know that you'll come back out of it and you'll feel good again. I would almost say the opposite in this race. Like I, um, I felt like emotionally and like really good for a lot of the race and was in a really good mood really good headspace. Like, yep, uh, my legs were sore and tired and, and whatever else. Um, but, yeah, in general, I found, like, I was managed to stay really, really positive, um, you know, for the whole race. Mm.
2: Mm. You were definitely on a mission. You were, like, more business-like than I've seen him in backyard ultras before. It was, it was get in, get what you need done, get back out, do the job, um, come in, have an issue, problem solve. Get back out, do it. It was, um, yeah, very like.
0: Yeah, man on a yeah. mission. Yeah, and do you think that that's because um, it was the world championships at Bigs that like that that just puts you in that zone?
1: Yeah, absolutely, hundred um, percent. Like, Taking so this it seriously. Yeah, well, like because you know you're sitting there like, when am I ever going to be here again? You know, like maybe I will, but there's a good chance I won't be. Right, so. You know, one thing, we've flown the whole family the other side of the world for this race. So I just knew that I, I, I've I, had regrets at, at heaps of my backyard Ultras for different reasons um, on my performance and on my mindset and, and where I finished and what we did during the race and how that affected my running. And I was just determined not to have any regrets in this race. And so one of them was, you know, like I, I had to take it seriously because I wanted to go as far as I possibly could. That was my goal. So um, yeah, it was it, 100% it was because of the, the magnitude of the race that I didn't want to leave anything out there and regret it the next day.
0: Yeah. Um, so I mentioned to Dom in one of the podcasts that I did during bigs that it must be hard for the crew deep into the race to keep talking their runners into to keep going especially when they're exhausted themselves so i mean it doesn't sound like you had this problem at gigs ex- because you were so driven rob but um jack were there any times when you were feeling like you had to really fire yourself up just to pass on positive vibes to rob at, at those changeovers just because you were feeling exhausted yourself
2: yeah i think it's harder when i'm worried about him so when he when he's struggling and i can see he's struggling um i it's it's harder for me to to push him out there and go again um but that's ultimately the job is to get him back out there but i um but yeah we definitely didn't have that issue at biggs there was no point where i had to force him out there uh, and i was surprised with everyone else when he didn't come back on lap 85
0: mm-hmm. um
2: the um i think it's that uh i think as a crew it's hard to know when enough's enough and when to to call your runner and say you know, you shouldn't go back out there yeah. when literally all they asked you to do was to get them to the start line yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so i mean to me I mean I was I've watched the live stream obviously and I saw when you timed out on the 85th for that and I mean, you smashed your PB it looked like you were absolutely exhausted towards the end you were sleep deprived and stuff like that um, but looking back at it now Rob how do you feel about finishing when you did
1: Um it's a, it's a good question I've had a couple of chats with different people um so I guess disappointed would like to be honest to start with was my my feelings. Um, I had a really good chat with with Rob Dong my coach about it. Um, and you know I sort of I sort of felt like you know because there was, there was runners like um, like Jivy from uh, the Philippine runner who, from from Ireland who you know he was he was the worst I've ever seen anyone you know he was just lying on the ground, eyes locked open, you know looking at nothing and so seeing people like that uh, as well as one of the Japanese runners that came in that you know they were they were physically they couldn't do and couldn't move another step Um, and I wasn't like that at the end you know I was still mentally alert to a degree as, as alert as you could be and so I was really struggling with myself whether I'd Push myself hard enough or not because I hadn't collapsed on the course or I hadn't, you know, I hadn't um, fallen asleep and not got up. Um, but it was a really good discussion with my coach just around like, is that how you actually want to finish the race? Like, do you want to be carried off the course? Like we all say we want to be carried off the course because it's you know it's big and tough, but is that really how you want to finish? Like I, I was I was done at the end of that that eighty four laps or, or get sorry the 85th lap like you know I've gone like you said I've gone further on I, I had before I had issues with breathing I'd struggled a bit on the transition from the day loops to the night loops and you know I was really surprised and probably one of the things that made me feel a lot better about it was in your podcast with on the stats that on average all the runners did I think seven less laps than their PB or six if you took out a couple of outliers who had injuries early on and so to know that on average everyone did six less and I did 11 more, um, you know, that, that sort of really helped me appreciate that, you know, I probably did give it as much as I could for that race.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, you finished in the top 12 as well. I mean, that's top 12 in the world. That's, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, top 10 would have had a nicer ring to it, but that's okay. <laughs> 11th will do.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, how did the body pull up? um it was okay it probably took me so my my feet and ankles were horrible um my recovery was as bad as you could make it so uh like as in my preparation i um gabby my nutritionist asked me afterwards had i planned my recovery and i, I planned nothing so At the end of the race, I had a few meals, but I could only eat a really little bit at a time because obviously I'd only, you know, my stomach had shrunk from the small amounts of food I'd been eating. So I had to eat a lot more frequently. Um, And I went, I wanted to go back to the race after I'd had probably about four or five hours sleep to watch the runners that were still out there. And instead of bringing food with me, I brought a six pack of beer (laughs) with me to watch the race. And then so I was sitting there for probably seven hours or something watching the last lot of runners and i hadn't considered that there's nowhere to get food there if i didn't bring it with me you know because we'd taken all of our stuff home so you know in the time that i should be hydrating and eating regularly and well i did the complete opposite um and then the next day we got in a car and drove for six hours in a car and that was the most uncomfortable car ride ever because my my feet were so swollen and my ankles were swollen um and then a and then got on a plane and flew to New York. And then once we got there, it probably took me probably two days in New York to be able to walk reasonably well and keep up with everyone else. Um, but it was probably about four days until mentally I felt normal again. Yeah. Just, you know, I, w- I would have people send me messages and if they'd sent me more than one sentence, I wouldn't read it. Yeah. I was just like, I don't have, I felt like I didn't have the mental capacity to read like a paragraph um it was just just that lack of sleep and i had really broken sleep in the sort of four nights after the race as well like i couldn't i couldn't string more than two hours of sleep together um
2: you kept powering down at 1pm and having to lay down at rest
1: yeah i'm I'm not i don't nap ever and yeah so every afternoon we'd go back to hotel and i'd lie on the bed for an hour and then we'd go back out again um but yeah after about four days i was probably relatively back to normal.
0: Right. But
1: from a running perspective, I'm only really getting back into more consistent running now. Like this week is probably, you know, I've strung 3 days in a row together, which is probably the first time I've done that since the race. Yeah. Um and so I intentionally didn't sort of rush back into it. I've got nothing on the calendar to to train for, so I just ran when I wanted to run. Um my dog Wanted to keep going running, so that was a motivating factor to get back out so I could give her a run. And I wanted to get back to eating two lunches a day, so I yeah. um, had to start burning more calories. So just, yeah, getting back into it now.
0: Yeah, cool. You mentioned the swollen feet. Did you plan to for having swollen feet during the race and take an extra size up pair of shoes for when your feet did get swollen?
1: I, I did, but it was almost like almost my undoing so um i used to be a size 10 I'd, I'd always run in size 10 and then i used to get size after my first backyard and i had sore feet at the end because of my feet swelling i got size 10 and a half and that worked reasonably well and then i also tried a size 10 wide foot because i got quite a wide foot and the and that worked really well and so for the lead up to this race i thought oh you know to be smart i'll combine both of those i'll get 10 and a half wide foot. Right. And I ran, I started the race in those um, and I don't know, if it was the first day or the first night I ended up with blisters. Um, must have been on the first night, I think, from the walking. And because the shoes were just slightly bigger and there was more movement, my foot had more movement, I um, ended up getting blisters on my, inside of my heels and, and I I never get blisters um, running these races. So that was different for me and so then I changed back to my size 10 wide foots and then I just wore the same pair of shoes for like three days after that I didn't
2: didn't even take them off
1: yeah well got to the point where I was taking them off when I came in and to sit down on the chair and then like it got to the point was when I was going out to the start line I would fold the chair down and then my shoes would either be wrapped up in a sleeping bag and I couldn't get them on or yeah. I'd I put the chair down on top of them so I couldn't pull the shoes out and I was getting really, really anxious about missing the start line. So yeah. I just stopped taking them off. So for for probably three days, I wore the same pair of shoes and for two of those days, I don't think I took them
0: off. Wow. Wow. I don't reckon many runners, I reckon that's probably, the not many runners would have done that. No, it
1: certainly wasn't my strategy, but it's yeah. just how it ended up. It ended up like they were fine, so it's like yeah. it's not broken, don't fix it, just leave it. Yeah,
0: sure. yeah. Um, when you finished, did you have a sense of who you thought would be the last one standing?
1: Not when I finished. Um, I didn't even really pay attention to how many people were left at that that point. Um when I came back to the race and, and was watching and you had Bartos and um Ihor and um and Harvey, I I thought it was gonna be Ehor at the end, watching them run. He just you know, he just looks so good. He looks mm-hmm. solid. Um, you know, everything about him just looked put together. He, you know, his facial expressions barely changed. You saw him come in. He didn't make a fuss about, you know, it was hot and he wasn't, you know, making a fuss with his crew about ice, oh, get me this, get me that. It was all calm and relaxed and very organized and didn't seem flustered at all. Um, and, you know, I'm sure it's part of his gamesmanship you know, Harvey was almost the opposite. He'd come in with three minutes to spare. He'd throw himself on the ground on a bag of ice and, um, you know, and then he'd be at the start line, you know, Ehor would be there nice and ready and waiting and and then Harvey would, you know, come in at the last second. so, yeah, I, I really thought Ehor was going to take it away. Um, but, yeah, then there was those last couple of laps that um, when Harvey sort of turned it on and ran a few faster ones and and almost switched personas. And, yeah. Um, yeah, that was pretty interesting to, to see.
0: Yeah. Did you um, think the same, Jack? Did you think Ehor as well?
2: Yeah, I think EHOR looked good um, all the way to the end. He, was, um, he just looked, from an outsider's perspective, really solid. Yeah, um, yeah Harvey, I think, surprised. Sup- I was surprised that Harvey got um, as far as he did. Because there was time, he was a couple of tents down, and there was times where the the crew the crew chat was around struggling, and so it's, yeah, it's an amazing feat to keep just keep going. I think yeah. for, for any of the runners, but yeah. yeah, to ride those peaks and troughs and then yeah, come out of the end is impressive. Uh, it's an impressive feat of human what a human can do.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> now I know that. Um, Laz did yell at a few runners and crew during the event, and I saw it a little bit on the live stream. Did you avoid getting yelled at by Laz, or did you cop a spray? Uh,
2: I think I avoided getting yelled at by Laz. Um, I've always been a rule follower, so that helps. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he—he's uh, definitely a character.
1: Yeah, I think the funniest one. I think it was. Oh, I feel terrible now if I get a name wrong. I think it was Amanda, the Canadian. and you know she was she was awesome all day like i'd see her on the turnaround she looked so good running past me super fast super strong and then all of a sudden i was lining up for the start line and i saw that she'd run the bell and essentially collapsed at the bell and there was a bunch of people there trying to help her and it was about 10 seconds you know she was trying to stand couldn't stand up there's people around her trying to help her out it was about 10 seconds till the lap started and laz was just like Everyone out of the crowd! Leave her! Get out! You know, like just, just yelling at him, just like drag her out or get out. Like I don't care what's happening, you can't be here.
0: Man, <laughs> he sounds like he sounds pretty brutal.
1: Yeah, look, I, 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 think half of it's a bit of a show. To be honest with you, um, you know, yeah, he he is, but you can kind of, you sort of think he's got a bit of a glint in his eye when he does it. That's not yeah. a malicious one. It's a, it's a yeah. jovial one um yeah. so i think he does enjoy yelling at people every now and again
0: yeah and now, how long were you in the us for after the race like so we had a
1: week so we had another week we went to new york for a week um and just did all the tourist things in new york and made a bit of a holiday out of it seeing as we got all the way over there
0: yeah that would have been awesome
1: yeah yeah it was a great time
0: yeah, and I guess um, you, the flight wouldn't have been too bad back, like your legs wouldn't have been aching too much on the plane because you'd had a weak rest.
1: Yeah, no, pretty well back to normal, well, normal-ish at that point. So, yeah, yeah no, feet weren't too bad.
0: Yeah. Um, so I'm tipping you'll be at Herdy's for the Sat Champs in October. Uh, it's an interesting – probably put one on each way at
1: this point, Pato. So at the end of Bigs, uh, the answer would have been no. Um, and the further away from bigs I get, the less um, the answer is no and the more it's maybe. The
2: trauma is fading. The
1: trauma is fading. And even uh, it was funny, one of the other things that pushed me to that side was a couple of weeks ago, Jack was saying that, you know, she was almost like kicking herself going, oh, if I'd done a few things differently, I think I could have got you, like I really want to do it again because I think I could have got you further. And so that was really an interesting because you know half of me was like I don't know if I want to put Jack through this again. You know, like it's yeah. four or five days out of her life. You know, that's one of the things that goes through your head. And then as soon as she's like, oh, I really want to do it again to push you, like, oh, maybe I will do it again. Yeah. So so it's it's not guaranteed at this point, um, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. We'll see as
1: I lead into into the year.
0: And before Bigs, is that what you were thinking as well? Were you thinking? Were you even thinking about Sat Champs next year before Biggs? Not about the Sat Champs, but
1: I was sort of, you know, I was considering, you know, is this going to be the last time I do one of these? Um, Because, you know, for me, they're really hard. Like I find them, they take a huge amount out of me doing these races. Like I see some people, um, you know, like Harvey Lewis did it, did um, Dead Cow 90-odd laps, and then what was it, two weeks later did Bad water one three five. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that. And I just couldn't, could not comprehend um doing that, that sort of So, you know, the sleep deprivation and physically, it, it takes me like a good two months or more to recover out of these races. So there was the thought, like, do I want to keep doing that? Um so yeah, look at this point, undecided about about next year, but we'll we'll play it by ear I think the closer I get to it, the more I want to do it again.
0: Yeah, and I reckon a few people will be trying to talk you into doing it too. I can think of one person specifically, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess that answers my other question. I was going to ask, have you got any other backyard ultras planned before Sat Champs? <laughs>
1: None. None
0: at this point. The only race, the only race I've signed
1: up for is um, a race called Transcend, which is a 65K trail race in the Perth Hills. Cause i've done it twice and it's kicked my ass twice and i've death marched in the last 10ks two years in a row so i really want to get back there and finish it feeling good
0: mm, cool um so the 84 yards you ran at biggs i mean i reckon that will be close to the cutoff for biggs in 2025 so I get. It. First of all, what, what do you reckon the cutoff will be in 2025 to make it to Bigs? Yeah, I, I have thought about this because
1: I didn't realise until after the race that my lap count at Biggs would count to the at-large list for two years' time. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> look, I, it takes some special sort of races. Like, you need the right combination to get those sort of numbers. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you can just have two people that are capable of it. You need more because um, we've seen them at a number of races where people that have done big numbers for whatever reason, they can't, you know, they have issues and they drop out or, you know, that's not what they're, it's part of their training plan. That's not what they're doing. So, you know, the, there was probably only three races or four races last year that had big, big totals in them. Um, a lot of the other qualifications were all from the the SAT champ. So. Look, I think the Sat Champs will be an interesting one this year because um yeah, I'm not really answering your question, but I think the the lap totals at the Sat champs this year will be significantly higher than yeah. last year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was mid sixties to get into bigs this year. Um I would think it would be high seventies for the at large list, would be my pick
0: yeah. next year. And there's more countries. Distance. There's more countries in the set champs this year. So there's only going to be 25 spots for um, like qualifying for highest.
1: Yeah, five. yeah, well, that's right. So yep. So the yeah, the more more golden tickets people get, the less the
0: at large lists that uh, mm-hmm. no, you know, the bigger that number needs to be. Yeah. And what about you? Like, if you do, do you want to go back
1: if you make it? Uh, I think at this point I do want to go back to Biggs again. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, just that thought, was that the best I could do? Um, yeah, I think I would go back. If you, if you gave me an option today to, to get a ticket for 18 months' time, I think I'd take it.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um. So WA runners um, like Phil Gore, Brad Halls, Chris Martin, Big Kev, and probably a few more that I don't even know about. They've got their own custom T-shirts made for their fans. So when are you going to release yours? <laughs> um, good question.
1: I guess uh, I've never actually even considered making my own uh, T-shirt. It's just not something that I would typically typically do. Jack's laughing at me here, but
2: well, he's no good at merch, and he's he's uh, his social media games. Below low average and his crew not any better so i <laughs> think uh maybe next year
0: yeah yeah well, well when you get one make sure you reserve one for me
1: i will i will Well, it's your idea now right so yeah. I've, got, I've got to credit your shirt if i make some he <laughs> needs a
2: social media manager
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah because you don't even have an instagram do you no <laughs> yeah Checking you you your LinkedIn? LinkedIn? Yeah, I've
1: got LinkedIn. LinkedIn oh, wow. and Facebook.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so what would your three backyard ultra tips be? My three
1: backyard ultra tips. So for me, one of them would be um, don't look ahead. So don't don't uh, don't have that. You know, it's great to have ideas or 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 thoughts of how far you want to go, but don't have that be what drives you. Um, because when things get hard, you know, you, you might think, oh, my goal is 20 laps ahead. So why bother doing another lap? Right? I'm never going to get there. So why bother? But if you're just doing it one lap at a time, you might find in three laps, whatever your issues been nausea, pain, sleep deprivation just turns around and you come out of that trough. And had you had that goal and that number that was so important to you, you would have stopped. And not not kept going so for me it would be about not focusing on what's ahead of you and just doing the lap that you're on um that would be one um i think food is you know nutrition's a massive a massive part of these races and fortunately after doing a lot of these races jack has a really good idea of what what she can substitute like what if i don't like one thing or what you know what we can change and something that i didn't really consider as much in bigs is even the temperature so that the the heat of the day when i would planned to eat solid food i just couldn't stomach it at that time so we had to change everything around so um i guess the advice there is have options and and understand understand what you know carbs and calories you need to get in every hour and have an option for for that and never never compromise on going out on a lap without eating so even when i felt the worst i would never go out without eating i would always get that nutrition in because you know you'll get to a point where you can't catch up so um yeah we just had lots of different options and easy to eat things to take with me um third lap third lap oh sorry third not lap um third, third thing, Probably <laughs> You know, maybe it's a bit opposite to what I did for bigs. Maybe it isn't, but don't overthink it. Um, So I think Gabby mentioned that someone, you know, she asked, you know, what advice would I give someone who wanted to do a backyard ultra is just do it. So if you can get 6.7Ks done in an hour, just start. Um, Because you learn so much when you go out there. And I think the amount of gear I now have with me for a backyard ultra would be half what I probably started with because, I'm pretty minimalist, I guess to a degree. Like I don't, I'm not, I don't get too fussed about all these fancy, you know, rollers and Theraguns guns and all. Like I, it's just, you know, I've got a, I've got a foam roller and a chair and maybe a mat so I can sit on the ground and that's about it. Like I don't, I, I keep it pretty simple. Um, and so I think if people keep it simple, then it removes the barriers of entry to doing the race. Um, and you just get out there and you do it and you might get three laps in your first race, but then you'll probably get 12 laps in your second race because you've figured out what stopped you. So, yeah, you're better off just starting and then figuring it out as you go.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, what about you, Jack? Do, do you have any tips you want to share as far as crewing goes?
2: Tips for the crew? Uh, I think my number one tip is look after yourself as the crew. So make sure that you As a crew person, you're getting enough sleep, Um, you're eating properly because that's the other trap that you fall into. You eat like an ultra runner and you're not doing ultra running. Um, The, um, yeah, look after yourself is number one so that you can think for your runner. Um, uh, I think there's an element of being organised, so sort of understanding what you've got, um, knowing where it is, and being able to respond to the uh, the demands of your runner because um, they come. Sometimes yeah. they're yeah. not very um, practical or uh, not a good idea, but um, those ideas will happen. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, being able to to get what you need. Uh, and the third, I think, would be sort of you've got to be a bit creative, think on your feet um, when when the plan is a sandwich and you. He's not going to be able to get a sandwich in, or doesn't want it. Um, you got to be able to find that two hundred calories from somewhere. So it's um, yeah, just keep trying things and be a bit creative.
1: I think the other thing that yeah you know, looks like it helps for me is is documenting each lap. So like what I Jack would write down what I ate each lap. So if I had started to have stomach issues or, or something. Maybe not so much in this race, but certainly in the sat champs, it was great because she went back and said, Well, hang on, you've got nausea, you feel nauseous now, you just had this shake, and eight hours ago, you had a shake and you felt nauseous, so let's cut that out. Yeah, and so being able to go back through those notes of how I felt and what I'd eaten at the time, um, has helped to go, Yeah, okay, well, we won't do that, or we'll do that again.
0: Yeah, do you um, write down like Phil when he does a lap, he'll rate it out of. A- one to ten, how he's feeling? Do you do that?
2: We're not that serious. Right. Um, the, the, the sheet that I keep is essentially lap number, um, hydration, um, what he's eaten or what he's taken out on the lap uh, and bathroom and then any sort of medical symptoms, cramping, nausea. Um, sort of keep a track of those so when things started and when things stopped. But, uh, yeah, not not to the degree that Phil documents
0: yeah fair enough <laughs> well um congratulations on the um on the result at bigs because 84 loops top 12 in the world um you're a force to be reckoned with thanks better yeah appreciate it yeah and thank you. thanks for coming back on the the um podcast you're obviously a great team and um Look, I hope you do run at the Sat Champs and hopefully I can make it. But if I don't, um, Australia Australia gonna be hard to beat.
1: Well, I'm expecting to see you there, Pato. So <laughs> we can maybe, maybe when you make it, we can we can do a podcast on one lap with all the runners as we go around. You can yeah. get that up mid race. Yeah. I think that'd be a great, great attraction.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, um, thanks for coming on, guys. Um, have a good night and Merry Christmas as well.
1: And to you. Thanks very much, Pato.
0: No worries. If you've enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you could share, comment, like, subscribe, all of that. If you've got any feedback, shoot me a message. Hope you have a great day. See ya.